Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Support for MPB comes from the Woodward Hines Education Foundation, committed to helping more Mississippians obtain post-secondary credentials, college certificates, and degrees that lead to employment. More information about Woodward Hines Education Foundation at woodwardhines.org. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Friday, September 29th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, a Mississippi group is reaching out to young immigrants, offering free workshops ahead of a looming deadline. The state auditor says the Mississippi Department of Education could be acting illegally. Hear what MDE officials have to say. We do not acknowledge that we've done anything improper or wrong. We have followed the guidelines of the state state procurement board. We have not violated any law to our knowledge. A preview of MPB's At Issue, which focuses on the state budget this week. And churches across the country will be blessing animals in the coming days. Find out why. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Some Mississippi immigrants are facing a tight deadline. Recipients of the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, or DACA, program status have until October 5th to renew their participation. The Mississippi Immigrants' Rights Alliance, called MIRA, has announced staff will spend this final weekend helping to renew work permits and to maintain enrollments ahead of the deadline. They will also assist recipients with legal advice and a workshop to guide applicants through the process. The United States Citizenship and Immigration Services imposed the renewal deadline, which comes one month after the Trump administration announced the program would end. No new applications are being accepted, but... Those with permits that expire on or before March 5th of 2018 can reapply with the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. O'Neill Yahawa is an organizer with Mira. She tells MPB's Desiree Frazier why she's participating. We have a one-month deadline after Trump's administration had announced um, that they were going to put a deadline on renewal for DACA applications. And um, the reason we want to do it, I mean, is is just advocate and educate and to organize our um, communities, our immigrant communities who do have DACA, or even if they do not, to understand the process in which to be um, community organizers and advocate for, to defend immigrant rights. But specifically for DACA applicants um, who are looking to renew their status, I mean, it's important because if they don't renew it, I mean, they might be facing serious um, and unsure future. Your feelings about spending the weekend doing this, trying to help folks better understand the process? I mean, it's necessary. It doesn't, it, I'm happy to do it. Um, we need to do it because, I mean, these are people who might not even be aware that the deadline is October 5th to renew their DACA status. They might think that if even if it expires in December or January or February, they have time. And um, we're really trying to disseminate this information as quickly as we can um, and to as many communities as we can so that they know that we are here and that we are offering also, well, the Kellogg Foundation is offering a scholarship so that, that there is no fee. I mean, $500, $495 is uh, 
is a good amount, a good chunk of money. Um, I know that I wouldn't be able to afford that with my daily expenses and my bills and whatnot. So the fact that the Kellogg Foundation is providing that assistance um, and that we are helping, I mean, we're going to have the Mexican consulate here, attorneys, um, it's a big help. And the, anyone that comes can ask questions, and we will be able to answer to the best of our abilities about the future of immigrant rights, future of DACA, and what we can do to um, help galvanize, really, um, and inspire like a pathway to citizenship and put pressure on our Congress people, um, state representatives, to support a pathway to citizenship. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. Roughly 200,000 DACA beneficiaries have to complete their renewal applications with no error and pay a fee of $495. The DACA program allows some immigrants who were brought to the U.S. before the age of 16 to work and go to school without the fear of being deported. Daniela Gonzalez is a DACA recipient. She tells our Desiree Frazier more about the application. No, it's not tough, but it takes time and you have to do it every two years. It takes a long time for it to be processed, and it's expensive. Now, how long does it take for it to be processed? How long did it take yours to come in? Well, actually, mine haven't come in yet. I apply, I reapplied in July, no, in June, and then I had to go get the biometrics, which is the fingerprint, in July, and I haven't received it yet. And so we're on the cusp of October, and, and you're still waiting. Yes. Patricia mentioned that after the elections, when Trump got elected, applications were taking uh, even longer than before. Before when you applied, how long did it take? About two to three months. But right after uh, you get the fingerprints done, it will be about a month and then you receive it. They actually told us that we had to do it three months in advance before it expired so that we'll receive the other one. And you talked about the expense of it. It's $494, no, $495. Yes, and the lawyer fee. So so that adds up. You had a lawyer help you with yours? Mm Mm-hmm. And how much did you have to pay? It's $400, too. So it's about $900. So this ends up being an expense for young people who may be in school, maybe working, uh, have young families like you have a child? Does that keep people from applying, you think? Well, you know, uh, for me, I I did everything that I could I, every time I had to reapply it because it's a chance that we didn't have before. But um, for some people, they didn't reapply because they didn't have the money. What do you think about Mira having this training over the weekend to help people? It's really helpful. It's really helpful. Plus, um, they make you feel comfortable. Do you think people will be afraid to come out and seek help? Well, right now, I've I've seen uh, their people are actually standing out, and um, they're not afraid because we have to uh, speak our minds. So I'm pretty sure that there will be people that, are, that will be scared, but it's more... Uh, people that are brave enough to speak up. Daniela, we really thank you so much for speaking with us. Thank you for having me. The organization plans to conduct at least two workshops at the Mira offices in Jackson. The first is today, this afternoon at 5. Coming up, results of a report by the state auditor and the response from the State Department of Education. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. 
Every day brings new questions. Whether it's the aftermath of Hurricane Harvey or the latest in government and policy, we have an ear for what's next at home and around the world. Stand with the facts. Start your day tomorrow with NPR's Morning Edition. This is Mississippi Edition. The state auditor says the Mississippi Department of Education may have used an illegal process to award contracts. Education officials deny any illegal activity. State Auditor Stacey Pickering says the Department of Education used an illegal pool-based system of awarding contracts instead of opening each contract to competitive bids. He tells MPB's Ezra Wall process selection is not just a matter of preference. First and foremost, this is the taxpayer dollars. This is the citizens of the state of Mississippi's dollars. Education is our number one priority, and how that money is managed, spent, got to the classrooms and got to the students of the state should be the number one priority, not just to the legislature, but of every citizen of the state of Mississippi. Of the findings that you uh, came out with today, particularly the several recommendations that you recommended, what what would be the, the highest priority in your view for the department? The highest priority of all of this is first and foremost the State Board of Education to get better controls internally of how they purchase, how they review grants or contracts and invoices, and how they administer the job. Boards and commissions is how we govern most of the state of Mississippi. And those citizens who serve on those boards are great public servants, but at the end of the day, the buck stops at the Board of Education, the Board of any other commission or board in the state of Mississippi. People are going to hear a lot about the difference between a pool contracting process and a bid contracting process. Talk about what your concerns are there. It's not a concern. The pool process is illegal, plain and simple. The state law stipulates DFA sets those rules and guidelines out, and there's no authority that has been provided to our office that the Department of Education has the authority to use a pool method. It must follow the bidding process, the competitive bidding process, and follow all the rules and regs set forth by the Department of Finance Administration and the state legislature, where none of us are exempt from that process. For people unfamiliar, you illustrated how the pool process that has been used could result in as few as uh, two or three entities appearing as five or six or more. Correct. You know, I know that one of the entities they ex- used was the fact they used it for proctors and test examinations. In reality, you can have two or three individuals with two or three different companies, and it's just two individuals in that entire pool, or maybe one individual who's actually qualified and gets the bid every single time and gets the contract every single time. That's not open. That's not competitive. It's not transparent. It's open for graft and corruption when you use something outside the set established legal system for purchasing in the state of Mississippi. If a state employee, either at MDE or another state agency, sees something going on that they feel like is not legal and they're uh, not comfortable taking it to their employer directly, what should they do? They can call our number, 1-800-321-1275, ask to speak to our investigative division, or go to our website, osa.ms.gov, click on the red Report Fraud tab, and everything is self-explanatory, and they'll walk them right through how to report fraud, waste, and abuse. Stacy Pickering is a state auditor. Thank you very much. Thanks so much. Felicia Gavin is Chief Operations Officer at the State Department of Education. She tells MPB's Ezra Wall MDE was authorized to use the process. We do have documentation from PSCRB back from 2009 that gives us the authorization to use the pool of services. But since that time, we have uh, strengthened our internal procedures as it relates to procurement, and we've updated our policies as of May 1st of this year. But at the time, we did have authority, and we do have the documentation that shows we were within the guidelines of using the pool of services. 
But at this present time, we no longer use the pool of service. During the period in question, uh, he seemed to be talking about 2015. Were you using the pool at that time? We were using the pool of service at that time with authorization to do so. Did you provide that document to them? Because he's, uh, Auditor Pickering said that they didn't have any document, any such document. I was not here during that time, but it's my understanding that they received a copy of the same memo that we have. Gavin also says MDE has made some changes to ensure more accountability. Well, at this point, we're not making any changes in response to the audit because we've not seen the audit, but we've made significant changes in the way that we do business at MDE in terms of our procurement guidelines. Um, as I stated earlier, we revised our contract procurement policy. Um, we've actually hired a compliance manager who focuses on internal compliance with all of the program offices, making sure that we're in compliance with all the state laws as well as, as, well as federal laws. Uh, we've actually hired an outside consultant to write policies and procedures for the agency in terms of contracting and accounting policies. We partner with our internal audit department as well to make sure that, you know, everything is in compliance. And we've done some reorganizing of the accounting staff. We have a new accounting director, and we reorganize the department uh, in terms of making sure that there's a more accountability. And I've been here since February, and those are some of the changes that we've implemented since then. Dr. Gavin says MDE has submitted some responses in writing and will offer more once staff have reviewed the auditor's report. Coming up, a preview of MPB's At Issue, which focuses on the state budget this week. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Every day brings all these new questions, whether it's about the aftermath of Hurricane Harvey or the latest in government and policy. We are listening for what's next at home and around the world. Stand with the facts. Start your day tomorrow with NPR's Morning Edition. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. State legislators are looking ahead to the next year's state budget. State agency officials recently presented their proposed budgets at the state capitol. This week on MPB's TV show At Issue, hear from both political sides of the budget outlook. Host Wilson Stribling moderates Democrat Brandon Jones, partner at the Barria Jones Law Firm, and Republican Austin Barber, managing partner of the Clearwater Group. We're talking about a $6 billion budget here. Austin, what could or should the legislature do to increase revenue? Hmm. Well, they could raise taxes, and that ain't going to happen. Okay, um, they can do what Republicans believe in, which is I want to try to give more tax dollars, more money back to taxpayers, um, with the hope that and the thought that if I'm a small business owner and I'm able to keep more of my money, I'll reinvest those savings that I had back into the economy. I'll hire more people. I'll pay my current employees more, uh, more money. I'll reinvest in my, in my uh, warehouse that I have, which means that I had to go, uh, I added on to it, which means I hired contractors to come build. And with that, there's more money that's spread out there and more revenues are coming in. Tax cuts in. you're talking about. Yeah, tax cuts. You can do one or the other. Um, and, I, you know, it's just a fact that, you know, the, the, the leadership and the supermajorities in both houses uh, are much more on the latter versus the former of, of um, a tax increase. You know, we, we've talked a lot about form, and I think those are important conversations to have. It's part of the way to bring people into the process, give them a sense of how things work. But when we move to function, we have to say, if we're going to be honest about it, that we are overseeing a failing economy. 
and that job creation has not been where it was supposed to be. And we've had six years of Republican math and Republican budget ownership, and this is where we are. I think we have to be honest about those truths. This is a Republican budget. And, you know, you asked a moment ago, Wilson, what would Democrats do? Well, I think it's an important question to ask because you can't be critical without asking the follow-up of what's your response. But that's a truly hypothetical scenario because given the numbers, Democrats truly don't have a voice in this process. And so the truth is, good, bad, indifferent, the product of these decisions are Republican-owned. And for six years now, that's been the deal. I am concerned that voters are getting snowed and being told, let's just let's just wait. All we need to do is change the process and it'll get better. These tax cuts are going to start paying dividends down the road. But now hang on, give us till 2025. And the finish line keeps getting moved. We've seen no appreciable positive effect of Republican budget making on this economy. This is a bad economy and Republicans own it. And so I think the other thing to point out is, we sometimes act like it's like gravity or like the sky. All these natural things are happening that are causing the money to be a little bit off in Mississippi. Decisions led us to this point. We have given untold out-of-state, we have given untold tax cuts to out-of-state companies. Right now, the Mississippi budget is paying part of the property taxes for Walmart. Now, that's about transparency. People should know that. People should know how their dollars are being spent and what... You know, benefits are built into well, this current budget. Since you bring up Walmart, I mean, Walmart, who's probably one of the largest employers in the state of Mississippi, Walmart, who just built mm, a hundred, I, I don't know, a, a very large facility in my hometown of Yazoo City, Mississippi, that probably hired a hundred or so people there. So I, I just, I don't like, and you and I hardly disagree here, I don't like the taking shots at, at, at a Walmart or somebody who's a big employer. Yeah, I mean, Walmart's got plenty of money. But we've got to incentivize, and part of the part of the incentivization of of sort of the job recruitment world is you've got to give some tax incentives to some big companies because we want you know we want them to bring their hundred jobs, thousand jobs, whatever it is. You've got to make smart deals. You're not always going to make a smart deal. We've made some bad ones in the past. It was a bad year last year. I can't come here and say that that it wasn't. Revenue numbers were down in 2016. The good news is it looks like for FY18. They're up a little bit. They're up about 4%. Hear the full debate on MPB TV's At Issue tonight at 7.30. Coming up, an expert from the Humane Society gives background on the blessing of the animals. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The outline of his Pulitzer Prize-winning novel, A Fable, still lines the walls of William Faulkner's writing room at Roanoke his home in Oxford. Born 120 years ago this week in New Albany, Faulkner used the Mississippi he knew as the foundation for his novels. He created a fictional county, Yagnapatafa, and peopled it with characters representing the Old South and the New. He once said, I discovered that my own little postage stamp of native soil was worth writing about and that I would never live long enough to exhaust it. Over his life, William Faulkner wrote 20 novels as well as short stories and poetry. He also wrote screenplays for famous directors such as Howard Hawks. Before he died in 1962, this giant of American literature had won two Pulitzers, two National Book Awards, and the most prestigious award of all, the Nobel Prize for Literature. This has been Mississippi, a thread through time. This 
This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. This week, many churches around the state will celebrate the lives of animals. The Feast of St. Francis is a day that recalls the life of the 13th century saint, revered for his devotion to every part of creation, especially animals. Faith communities mark the day with the blessing of pets and animals. Risa Courier is Faith Outreach Director with the Humane Society of the United States. She says the event is growing as more families now include pets. Blessings of the animals have been going on for a very long time, and the notion of blessing animals is uh, deeply rooted in Scripture. The Psalms tell us the earth is the Lord and all it contains, and that's an important theme throughout the Bible, that animals belong to God and they're important to Him. So the, the blessing of the animals is really a continuation of God's care for animals and our role as stewards of the animals. So the first blessing of the animals, many people say that it probably was performed by St. Francis of Assisi. And it has been a big part of um, the Catholic Church to have a blessing every October. Are there other denominations that also bless animals, or is this strictly a Catholic? For the Protestant churches regularly celebrate blessings of the animals. Um, I'm a Methodist, and our church certainly does. And part of that, too, is that really the, the foundation of the Protestant church and the formation of evangelical Christianity was also the notion that we have a duty of compassion and care towards animals. And so that current of care and protection for animals has been a really big theme in the Protestant tradition as well and something that we honor usually at some point during the year with a blessing of the animals as well. You know, we even see that synagogues offer some sort of blessing or celebration of the the animals. Usually that incurs um, sometime during Passover as a celebration of the Hebrews and their animals' emancipation from slavery. I know there are a number of churches in Mississippi that will be blessing animals, you know, this early part of October. Do you have any idea how many churches might be participating in this? Um, I would even say thousands in Mississippi. It is really, you know, two-thirds of Americans have a pet in their home. So for those of us who have have pets, you know, we know that they enrich our lives so much, and many of us consider them to be uh, cherished family members. So it's a wonderful thing to be able to bring your pet to church. Most of these services are held outside, weather permitting. And to see your pet get blessed is a really wonderful thing. What is really fun is the diversity of pets that show up at these animal blessings. (laughs) You see horses, goldfish. Oh, well, and especially in rural areas. I mean, you don't get just dogs and cats. You get pigs and whatever you can load into the trailer. (laughs) So um, it's just really, it's heartwarming to see what kind of animals matter and and how important they are to people. I want to talk Mm -hmm. a little bit about people who have animals that, for whatever reason, maybe have to get rid of an animal, whether they're moving somewhere. I mean, there are all kinds of reasons. And, And I'd like to hear from you. What do you recommend? What should happen with that animal, that beloved animal in that family? There is no easy solution, is there? I think that Right now, more than ever before, there are so many resources for people that are struggling financially to provide vet care or 
to afford pet food and, and other kinds of resources. And we offer, through the Humane Society of the United States, we have a program called Pets for Life. With that program, we work with pets in underserved communities, and we provide free resources, including all the veterinary care, food, for individuals because we understand it can be a struggle. And we also understand for many of these people, this pet is their family member. And we really want to work with communities and individuals to keep pets in their home. So I encourage people to visit our website, hsus.org, to find out more about the resources we have. And sometimes if it's an elderly individual, organizations can work with that person to find a family member or a friend that the animal can transition to. Risa Courier is Faith Outreach Director of the Humane Society of the United States. Thank you so much for being with us. No, thank you so much for having me. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's the Gestalt Gardener. Then at 10 o'clock, it's Next Stop Mississippi. And at 11 o'clock, stay tuned for Southern Remedy for Women. If you missed part of the show today, you can find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again Monday morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from the Woodward Hines Education Foundation, committed to helping more Mississippians obtain post-secondary credentials, college certificates, and degrees that lead to employment. More information about Woodward Hines Education Foundation at Woodward.